Great news. While I was sleeping, our podcast jumped 28 spots on the iTunes charts. I should probably, I should probably sleep more often. <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. Maybe I'm not sleeping enough and I'm working too much. What's up? This is Mark K. Saves the Republic. And we are here in Tampa at uh, the Student Action Summit for Turning Point USA. This is day two. Which is great. Day one felt like four days, but day two is today. Big stuff going on. Uh, last night, I went out to, I went out, had some sushi at the bar and went home, passed out. I didn't even realize how tired I was until, until it was like 1030 and I couldn't keep my eyes open. And I was in the elevator. This is a true story. I was in the elevator and the student action summit, just so you know, is for college age kids and, uh, you know, people in their twenties who are politically active or want to get politically active or, you know, are all learning how to deal with politics on campuses and in relationships and in the world and whatnot. And so, uh, I'm in the elevator and I'm literally about to pass out at 1030 and there's four or five dudes. They're all maybe 23 talking about where the after party is. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> how do you, how do you, but then I realized they're not going to get here till noon today. And I had an early morning interview uh, with a guy who joins me right now. And this is, now we don't do a lot of interviews on this podcast. Um, we've interviewed Kat Kamek, for example, we interviewed Brian Kilmeade, whenever the opportunity arises. But I have to tell you, this place is interview central. There's so many people here, fascinating individuals who just like you want to save the Republic and have a blast doing it. And one of them is a guy named Joshua Phillip who works for the Epic Times. He's the, um, hold on, I wrote it down so I don't screw it up. He's the host of Crossroads on Epic TV. He's the senior investigative reporter and he's created a new documentary called The Real Story of January 6th. And, and he's punctual. He was one minute late and he was like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, dude, it's, I've been, you're fine. Uh, but he's with the, uh, the Epic Times. He's the, the host of Crossroads, senior investigative reporter, very well-dressed, good hair too which is something I'm always, that's the first thing I go, oh, this guy's got good hair too. Everybody but me. And he's here with me today to uh, talk about a new project which debuted yesterday, right? Yesterday, yep. You were here all day yesterday while your your new film is debuting worldwide. <laughs> yeah. A, hey, good, good place to be for it. I know? guess it is. I guess a lot of people are asking you questions. Please welcome uh, Joshua Phillip. And I want to get to January 6th because we've been talking about it all week. This January 6th committee, which thank God they're done with for oh, the yeah. summer. I mean, that again, they had to come back at prime time. Nobody watched them the first time. They try it again. They ruined Big Brother for me and my family. And now they're on a hiatus. But the one big thing everybody's been saying about January 6th is how one-sided it is. And you have a whole documentary about that, which I want to get to. But first, tell everybody about your, your area of expertise um, regarding China and what you accidentally, un, uh, ac <laughs> accidentally did. So I, I've been with Epic Times since 2006. And uh, 2008... I accidentally uncovered one of the Chinese Communist Party's largest spy operations in the United States. That was the United Front Work Department. How do you accidentally uncover one of the largest Chinese spy networks in the United States? Well, there, so I was investigating in Flushing, in Queens, New York. Okay. And Flushing is like kind of the new Chinatown. Yeah, we used to play football in Flushing Meadow Park. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right, right around there, Main Mets Street play there. there, yeah. Yeah, okay, you know. So yeah, yeah you're out there basically there were groups attacking other members of the Chinese community. This was right ahead of the Beijing Olympics. Okay. And so, there, I mean, it was wild. Hundreds of people out on the streets, beating up, cursing at, threatening to kill, um, Falun Gong practitioners, Tibetan Buddhists, uh, Christians. In Queens. In Queens. And this is before the major crime, you know, uh, wave hit. Oh, it, was, it, was way, it was wild. Yeah, so yeah. this was before all that. And so I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, like why, why are public officials not talking about this? Right. Why are the police really not doing it much about it? Uh, what the heck is going on? And then I started noticing weird patterns. Well, one, a lot of the Chinese people in the community 
We're like, oh, yeah, those people are spies. Those are Chinese spies. And, like, I'm thinking, like, James Bond. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And, like, these are guys in, like, you know, wife beaters. Yeah. Like, you know, they look like they don't shower. Right. They're blending. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, that's not that's not a spy. Come on, man. You know? <laughs> Basically. And so what did you do? You just started talking to these guys? And well, I started, started looking into them because I started noticing patterns, sure. which is they, they had, like, bull horns with the names of Chinese, like, names on them. And they started having banners of Chinese names. And I'm like, okay, what are these? So are, wait, are these Asian guys or they're just regular Ch guys? Chinese, Chinese. Chinese guys in Queens wearing wife beaters, carrying around bullhorns. And Basically. they're spies. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's what, that was what I was like, what the heck are you talking about? Yeah. So I found out that what they were part of was what you call tongs. Okay. Tongs are like uh, Chinese fraternal organizations. In ancient China, they were like kind of the bottom-up form of government. Right. Because there was no government below the county level. Right. So these guys were like guilds, unions, I guess you could call them, yeah. family associations. And they're basically like kind of the unofficial governing bodies of Chinatowns. Because when Chinese people emigrated abroad, um, it was done through the Tongs. Right. And so this is why Chinatowns are really unique immigrant communities. Like they're insulated sure, yeah. because they're run by the Tongs. Because you got New York, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., yeah, Seattle, yeah. all over the place. Yeah. They're, they're, so they're, each they're one different. is individual. That's not just Chinese people. They're actual individual families there's, there's, or Tongs. There's, there's individual family. There's oh. family associations because there's only so many family names in China. Yeah. There's hometown associations. And there's also different businesses. So there's oil workers, Tongs, police, Tongs, government Tongs. like. Every every sector, and basically these are like pay-to-play systems, kind of. Like they're, it, they're, yeah. they're associations, but also pay-to-play systems. And beneath a lot of them is the Chinese mafia. So they'll have a criminal group within, a, not all of them, but a lot of them, um, that basically run the underworld of whatever organization they're in. So when you were when you say they're spies, what exactly are they doing? Are they delivering information to the, to the Chinese mafia or to well, the CCP, or so, is it all kind of so the same? Here's how it works. So if you want a favor, yeah. you go to the Tong. Okay. Now, beneath the Tong I mentioned is the, the Chinese mafia, the triads. And so let's say you need to get a family. Let's say you have a family member who wants to become an oil worker. You go to the oil worker's Tong, and you say, hey, uh, you know, my cousin does this. You give him a few gifts. Maybe you give them some money, and then they, they have, maybe they introduce them to someone who works in that, and they, they offer them like an internship, and that's how, that's how you get things done. Okay, with through the Tong system. Yeah, you could, but you could also be like, hey, sounds like the Democrat Party, really. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, basically. You, it, it, I need a job at the White House. Well, what do you got for Joe? They're basically like packs. Yeah, it's, right. it's, it's like Hunter Biden, unlike, <laughs> yeah. uh, unlike, unlike, like on a, a grand guild, scale. On a guild level. Yeah, it yeah, really, yeah. It really is. <laughs> All like, right, like Hunter Biden guilds. Yeah. Think of it like that. You know, how you much mean? money you got? All right, we'll give your son a, a seat on our board. But you also do that for crime. Right. So you have a cousin who wants to immigrate from China. Okay, fine. He has to do some favors. And then he gets swept into the, cr the criminal system. Or you want to get involved in drugs or prostitution. Yeah. Or it's all that. So I found out one of the big groups there was what you call the, Fuk the Fukian American Association, which runs the Fukqing Gang. And these guys are bigger than the Italian mafia. They're like biggest, uh, one of the 10 largest uh, transnational organized crime groups in the world. Wow. And they're human traffickers, drug traffickers, everything. The Fukian American Association that runs them is also the number one affiliated organization with the Chinese Communist Party. Okay. At least in so York. this is state-sponsored criminal activity on a global scale. They're not, well, the CCP is not going to throw them behind bars if they get caught or anything. No, well, maybe. It's, no. it's complicated. Okay. But they, what the CCP did is they, they have a branch of their government called the United Front Work Department yeah. that does what they call liaison work. So they have a few things. Under the government side of the Chinese government, there's the state council, which is, which is the government. Then they have the Chinese military, People's right. Liberation Army. Then they have the Chinese Communist Party. So Chinese Communist Party technically runs everything, but it, 
kind of separate in some ways. Yeah. The PLA has the general political department. It was, they changed the name, but that's what it used to be called. That runs these operations. They call it liaison work. The government side has two branches: the Fukin, uh, sorry, the um, Overseas Chinese Affairs Office, and the uh, United Front Work Department. And basically, they do what they call liaison work again, where they send agents to these Tongs, oftentimes working through the Chinese consulates, and they basically try to win over the the allegiance of the Tongs. Got it. Okay. And then the Chinese consulate works almost like a like a local government office in each respective area of, of a society. So you uncovered what were you originally investigating? You said. It was just uh, attacks on other people uh, in the right. Chinese community. And you thought, why is there this crime wave in the community? And all of a sudden you realize you've uncovered a Chinese spy network. What do you, what do, you do with that? I mean, do you, who do you call? And well, you say, was, hey, by the way, Queens is overrun with Chinese spies. It got worse because then I found out that they were also running the police advisory board. Which which was of why the, which was why the police weren't responding to yeah. these attacks. I mean, it makes sense. You want to make sure that no, when they call nine one one, no one's going to come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then I found out that local politicians were actually like in the network. Yeah, working with them, which is why the politicians weren't responding to these attacks, which launched then a, a multi year long government corruption investigation. I did, and um, FBI ended up actually launching an investigation. Wow. And uh, almost put it was John Liu. He was the former New York City controller running for mayor, two members of his campaign went to prison. I, I, I'd like to believe it's partly because of my investigation. We'll just go with that. We'll yeah. go with, I, yeah. I would say a majority, at least 57% of it was due to your investigation. It, well, it started, it started the investigations, at least, I'd say. And, and you've got, now you used to do something else. Uh, what it's called, um, I noticed you're an expert in, what is it, the warfare? The, subversion. Uh, subversion, which is, I mean, that's the new way to fight wars. It's not tanks and missiles and stuff yeah. like that. And we, I feel, and I'm no expert, are way behind on that kind of new modern warfare that the Chinese are doing really well, that the Russians are doing really well. Where do we fall on the global scale of we're losing badly in modern, uh, you know, extreme warfare? Basically, the Chinese Communist Party, in their own words, will say that we're in the middle of World War III. Already. That's what they call it. Yeah. In their own military doctrine. Russia as well, and Iran as well, many countries as well. The issue with the United States is we still think of warfare as tanks and bombs and guns. Right. We, don't, we don't think of warfare as foreign investment in businesses and forcing businesses basically into a government system, which is what the Chinese Communist Party does. Sure, yeah. We're basically in a full, what you would call total war, where every, every piece of society has been weaponized for war purposes, other than, right, with the one exception of troop-on-troop -troop combat. And we are almost totally unengaged in this war. So you're saying China, every aspect of human life, when you go to the bank, when you go to work, when you go on vacation, when you drive your car, whatever, is all weaponized. Here in the United States, the Pentagon is weaponized and nothing else is. Basically. So the, the, they actually have a phrase. A lot of China experts use this. They, it's a unrestricted warfare. Right, unrestricted. It was a book by two Chinese colonels at the time. They're, they're different positions now. One is, one is a general... Um, but it, it basically proposed a form of warfare without limits, where it weaponizes every element of society in a, in a form of no rules warfare. Yeah. Anything goes. They can do anything. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it, you know, it's really similar to, I remember when Israel, when they, you know, when they were under, I mean, they're still under attack. But in the 80s and the 90s, they said, look, if you're a citizen of Israel, you're in the military. Yeah. And you have to be prepared that you're going to get attacked at any time. I often wondered why post 9-11, we didn't really... We got close, but we didn't really grasp that concept where just being an American, you are an enemy to half the world. And you, people don't, I guess, really wake up to that fact. Uh, it's, all, it's all fascinating stuff, and it's something that we should definitely talk about long form later. 
But I do want to get to the real story of January 6th because, as I said, it's what's in the news. And it is it is one side. I know um, Elise Stefanik, who's up from your neck in the woods the other day, she came out and she said, this is not a committee. This is not a trial because there's only prosecution and no yeah, defense. Yeah, yeah. Ju it's just a bunch of Democrats, a bunch of lawyers who are saying, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. No cross-examination. Oh, it, None it, of that. It's an inquisition. It really, it's, it's it really an, is. It's an inquisition. You know, they, they show up at your door. They say you're guilty of you're guilty of uh, heresy. Yeah, you know, you're heresy against the democratic system, and they drag you off to their you know torture chambers. It's like the Salem you know? witch trials. You know, <laughs> yeah. does yeah. she float? What yeah. else floats? Ducks float. Yeah. Um, so now you you have this great new documentary which premiered yesterday, and it is it's basically the it's basically the defense or the cross examination. The other story is called it's called the real story of January sixth, and you interview people who are conservatives, who are uh, Trump Republicans, who went there to protest and now have summarily basically had their lives ruined, right? Well, the the documentary pretty much covers everything. So we we look into you know were were Trump supporters violent that day? On the normal Trump side, we found very little of that. There, yeah. there, there was some which we acknowledge in the documentary, and we actually show some footage of it. But the main instigators are what we would call suspicious actors. The main instigators, ironically, are people who Ray think, Epps, that kind of thing? Ray Epps and those guys, yeah. the 100-ish individuals who raided the Capitol with Ray Epps while Trump was still speaking and who the FBI seems to have no interest in, those guys. You know, I, th I think the, the funny thing is a lot of Trump supporters are like, they want to see investigations yeah. into those guys. Right. And they're like, okay, like, I disagree with the fact that they broke stuff, that they t overturned the police barricades that they pulled down the don't enter sign so no one else knew you couldn't enter, that kind of stuff. They're like, they want to see investigations into those guys. And like, okay, why are they not looking into these guys? Which, which is the real irony with this. Right. And then you start looking at the footage of people who were arrested. Ashley Babbitt, for example, the guy who broke the window she, who she, climbed, the window she climbed through, she punched the guy in the face. Yeah. Because she did not support him breaking that window. And then you find out that, hey, you know, she looked around herself and she maybe very likely realized she was in a room with people who weren't like her. She was in a room with 20-ish suspicious actors, individuals, again, who are some of the main instigators who the FBI has very little or no interest in. These suspicious actors, as uh, somebody who investigated it and you did this documentary, these suspicious actors, I know if you go onto the blogosphere, if you, you know, people call my show all the time, they're convinced it's Antifa, they're convinced it's the FBI. Who is it really, or who have you been able to kind of uncover may have been one of these suspicious people? We, we do know a couple are Antifa, yeah. but the reality is we don't know fully mm. because the FBI has no interest in them. There's very little information on them. One individual, for example, uh, we have a video of him, and he's, uh, he's like, he's beat, he breaks, and then he starts pulling out a window, and then he's standing by it, and he's, he, we have it on video, and he's yeah. like, hey, why don't you climb, why don't you tear up the rest of it? Yeah. And this guy's like, well, because it'd probably be illegal. The guy turns his camera on the guy, and the guy tries turning like this, like, because he, he doesn't want to be on film. And then he starts trying to accuse someone else of doing what he just did. Like, weird stuff like this. Uh, but, but the documentary doesn't just look at that. That's wow. one piece of what we look to. We also bring in Stan Keffart. He's the number one expert on police use of force. So if okay. you look in court databases, um, he's the number one guy that courts will call in to testify on police use of force. And he, he's, like, you know, former top police officer in, like, a lot of different counties. I mean, he's like not—he's not by any way like an anti-police guy. So when you say police use of force, you're talking about like crowd control, riot gear. Exactly. You know, when do you use tear gas? When do you use rubber bullets? What's excessive force? That kind of thing. Exactly. And so we actually go over multiple angles of footage throughout that day of you know altercations police had with the crowd, of actions of the police. 
And what we find basically is that he's saying the police were committing crimes left and right. They were committing crimes that they should be in prison for, some of them. Uh, he says the shooting of Ashley Babbitt, for example, based on video analysis that yeah. we went through, he says it's a murder. The killing of Roseanne Boyland, the woman who collapsed in the tunnel, who was trampled, yeah. police beat her unconscious body, for example, that that was assault under color of authority, and the woman who committed that crime, the police officer, should be in prison for it, or at least face trial for it. Uh, we have videos, for example, of officers running around crazily, one in particular, and his behavior is different from the other officers near him. Right. Uh, the other officers are very calm, and they're just kind of sitting there with the crowd. This guy is going crazy. He's, you know, shoulder-checking the officers, like, like, like he's trying to start a mosh pit. He's pulling munitions off their vests and just randomly throwing, like, concussion, like these uh, uh, disperse, dispersion grenades into the crowd that shoot off these pellets. These things are just blasting deep in the crowd. He's grabbing uh, cartridges for his taser off random officers, walking up and just shooting random people with it, not arresting them not administering aid, suggesting he's not doing it to either disperse or arrest the crowd, which means he's instigating the crowd, which means the whole thing right. very likely could just, it could be entrapment based on the behavior of some of these, and that's just one example. And these officers were with what department? I mean, you've got you've got the Capitol Police, and later D on you have the Metro, National Guard, you got DC, DC Metro, Metro Police. Yeah. Uh, some people claim there was FBI there as well. Where... Where are these officers? I mean, where were they coming from? This, what was their this, was, this was D.C. Metro and Capitol Police. Okay. Trump had authorized the deployment of the National Guard. Right. That authorization was there. Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Muriel Bowser were the ones who did not accept that. They were the ones who made sure that security that day was not basically, basically not able to handle the crowd. Clearly, that's something we believe was on purpose. Well, which is crazy because we, did, we were talking about this committee hearing, right? Yeah. The last committee hearing deviated from the whole narrative they've been pushing. The narrative previously was crazy. Trump hopped in the car and was yeah. trying to like wrestle the <laughs> steering wheel from the driver because he wanted to go to the Capitol building so bad. The new narrative, right? The new narrative they're pushing is this idea that this basically Trump didn't care and he's sitting in the White House right. and he's just indifferent. And they're saying that it's dereliction of duty. Okay, uh, fair enough. Dereliction of duty, but who was the one who did not accept Trump's offer Correct. to have proper security deployed that day. Dereliction of duty. They're saying that, are they saying in that, in that note that Nancy Pelosi is guilty of dereliction of duty based on their own evidence and based on their own claims? Yeah. Are they saying Mitch McConnell's guilty of dereliction of duty? Muriel Bowser, or dereliction of I mean, she, she runs the whole district and she had no interest in keeping this 100,000 plus crowd safe for. Exactly. I mean, even not even just keeping them from going nuts, but keeping them safe from what might have happened. And it's all fascinating stuff. As far as Ashley Babbitt, did you interview? We interviewed Aaron Babbitt. Her, her husband, yeah, that's, yeah. Her, that's her husband. Mm -hmm. What was he like? Uh, what was his take on this whole thing? So, and was he there? He, so he was not there. He, he was He says he wasn't really politically engaged at that right. time. He had to run their business at that time. Ashley Babbitt was very into this. You know, she's, she was a lot more political than he yeah. was. I mean, Aaron's a very, he, Eric, uh, Aaron's a very stoic guy. He's yeah. like, you know, burly, kind of former, you know, he's a former military guy. Uh, he did security before at a nuclear power plant. And he's very kind of like hardened, and he's very hard to crack. But there was one point where actually he, you could tell that he was still bothered by this. He says he feels like he hasn't properly just faced the emotions of yeah. all of it yet. Poor guy. He was watching TV and just sees his footage of his wife, you know, dead. And he actually blacked out. Lost wow. consciousness. Yeah. I and mean, then, and now to see it over and over again. Well, and, and he's getting harassed. People are, people yeah. are threatening him and then sending him photos of his dead wife, like, the, the guy's getting harassed like you wouldn't believe.
I mean, it's all just, it, it, you know, it, when you hear that kind of thing, it's so, it's so, ang- it makes you angry. Uh, I liken a lot of it. What you just said is really fascinating to me. And I liken it a lot to what's going on with the gas prices. For example, yeah. Pete Buttigieg, he's saying you have to feel the pain at the pump. You have to pay $6 for gas or you're never going to go electric. I kind of feel like that mentality is similar to what Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer saw with the Capitol. Really? You, unless yeah. you see it in engulfed in smoke and unless you see people yeah. smashing the windows you're not going to believe that democracy doesn't work so it seems like they're pushing that kind of narrative on multiple fronts i i, I could see that i could see that that basically what they're doing is pushing an agenda yeah and they don't care if you have to step on a few people to get it basically yeah. they, they don't care if they have to throw you know innocent americans in the gulag you know solitary confinement for over a year in order to make their political point because the, the, right the point of it is the goal and, you know, the, the ends justify the means, as socialists have always believed, right? That, yep. that, it seems like that's what they're doing. Yeah, well, that's what they that's how they do it in China. Yeah. Or in Queens. Yeah, <laughs> or, or, yeah, or in Queens, yeah. <laughs> uh, Joshua Phillip, host of Crossroads, a senior investigative reporter for the Epic Times, and the, uh, the guy who's in charge of this amazing new documentary, The, the Real Story of January 6th. Where do people see this? Uh, they can watch it on Epoch TV. That's E-P-O-C-H TV dot com. By the way, is it Epoch or Epic? Because I've heard both. So, Tech, right, so if you want to speak the Queen's English, yeah. epoch, epoch, British right. or Canadian, and that's a, and that's like a long period of yeah. transformative time in history. Yeah, if, okay. if you're an American, epic, epic. <laughs> but you want to confuse people, epoch. All right, well, if, <laughs> we'll go with epic for now because I'm an American and yeah. I confuse enough people as it is. There we go. Uh, epic, t- epic TV. Yeah, yeah. EpicTV.com. Go check it out. The real story of January 6th. Follow him on Twitter. Fascinating guy, Joshua. Thanks for being here. Hey, pleasure. Thank you also.